Acts chapter 1. We're just going to be continuing our uh, verse-by-verse study in the book of Acts. And as we're turning there, um, man, just what a cool season the Lord has us in as a church right now. Just Acts and mission and the Holy Spirit. Like, if you were here last Sunday, how good was that, right? Just getting prayer. Like, almost the whole church came forward. Like, I want more of the Holy Spirit more freedom in worship, more holiness. If you remember, uh, kind of the, the paradigm Brit wants us to remember as we're in Acts, as we think about the person of the Holy Spirit, is the Holy Spirit helps us uh, love Jesus more, helps us love holiness more, and it helps us be more effective on mission, those three things. And um, as we study the book of Acts, we just want to remember that. We want more of Jesus, we want more holiness, and we want to be more effective for Jesus. And it's awesome because the very next verses display those three things, like, very clearly. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 1, verse 6 to 11. We read through verse 8 uh, last week, but we were just focused on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're just going to start again at verse 6 for some context. Uh, this sermon is called The Day Jesus Left, which is a sad title but it's going to be okay. So let's read together Acts chapter 1, verse 6 to 11. I'm reading out of the ESV. It says this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And when they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That's the word of God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word, for your truth this morning, this living and active word. And Holy Spirit, I ask by grace that you would just bless this time, that you would make your word truly alive. If we've heard these things and we're like, yeah, I know this, Jesus, make your word alive to us. Would we see fresh things? Would we love Jesus more after studying your word? Would we love holiness more? Would we be more full of your spirit to be more effective on mission to our neighbors and our coworkers and our family and in, in our homes? So come now, Holy Spirit, just help me to be really faithful to what you have said. And we just want to sit at your feet now as we study your word. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have, has anyone in this room ever experienced disappointment with God? Like, who, honestly, who hasn't? Um, who hasn't experienced some kind of unmet expectation of God? Or maybe God just seems distant. God doesn't answer a prayer we've been praying maybe for years. We're praying and fasting and the answer just seems to be no. Uh, maybe we come across something in the Bible. We're like, wait, what? Like, that, what is this, God? Maybe we're just in this season of like a circumstance that we're like, Lord, when will this go? And, and we just, we're experiencing disappointment with God because of this particular circumstance we're in. Maybe we've seen people who we love uh, suffer dearly and we're like, God, why? What are you what are you doing, Lord? We know he's 
sovereign, and so it's just confusing for us. And so we're like, Jesus, I know you're good, and I love you, but I just, I don't understand this. This is disappointing to me. And it's, it's a conversation and a, a situation just like that that the disciples are in in our verses this morning. Um, we'll start again at verse 6. Look what it says. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now these disciples have like a hope. They have an expectation of Jesus and his kingdom. Like they're, they're certainly probably even thinking of like, hey, because when you're establishing your kingdom, didn't you say something, I think we have the verse in Matthew, uh, where we get to like rule and reign. Jesus said to them earlier, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So definitely they're like looking forward to that, right? And they're like, hey, Jesus, is it time? Like, do we get our thrones now? They have this expectation. And honestly, it's a pretty reasonable expectation because Jesus just rose from the dead. Like, think about that. Like, Jesus just defeated Satan and sin and death, and he's, like, risen again, and they, they didn't expect it, and now they're seeing him. So for sure, in their mind, they're like, let's, this is awesome. Let's do this. You did it. You did it. Let's go. It's time to establish your kingdom. Why, and, and if you were a disciple at that moment, why would, why would he not establish his kingdom on earth at that moment? It's a pretty reasonable expectation they have. And here's the truth. We have our own, even reasonable expectations of God. Maybe these expectations are based off a verse or a promise he's made us. And we have these expectations like, Lord, you said you're going to provide all my needs. Like, aren't you going to do that now? Lord, you said you can heal me. Will you do that now? Lord, you said... Like we have these promises that we're holding onto and we have these expectations of Jesus. We're like the disciples, we have our expectations. And look what Jesus says to them in response in verse seven. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. And so do you know what just happened right there? Jesus just totally let them down. Right? They were certainly disappointed with Jesus at this moment. Like, Jesus, your kingdom, like, let's do this. Let's overthrow Rome. Let's get our thrones. And he just says, it's not for you to know. And, and we know Jesus, in fact, didn't establish his kingdom. It's been 2,000 years, and we're still waiting for Jesus to come back and make everything right. And we, we remember, okay, no, Jesus' kingdom comes slowly and it's like a mustard seed and the least uh, will become first and the first last. And it started with just a couple guys and it's growing really slow. So they're certainly like, Jesus, what? And then to add insult to injury, they're just disappointed. Jesus is like, and also I'm out of here and he floats away. Like, imagine that. You're like, wait, you're trying to process this disappointment and then Jesus floats away. And you're thinking, wait, what is happening right now? You just rose from the dead and now you're not restoring your kingdom and now you're gone. In verse nine, it says, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And I just, you know, we've probably heard this, most of us before, but just imagine that, like a real human being you're interacting with in the middle of a conversation and he just starts floating away into the sky. That actually happened. And they're thinking, wait, no, no, no. Like, I would honestly, like, try and grab his ankles or something. Like, don't leave. What are you doing? And he floated away. 
And, and like the disciples, we have these expectations of God. And like the disciples, our expectations often don't pan out the way we've hoped. And it's normal to experience this disappointment with God. It's something that people have experienced from Genesis to Revelation. Through all of history, God's people have had expectations that were not met. And I just want to say at this moment, I'm encouraged at how Jesus, before he goes away, how he interacts with them. He doesn't respond with a rebuke to them. He responds with a promise and love and grace. And before we look at his response, I just want to encourage us, man, we have these expectations. And even when they're wrong and misguided, God is like, he doesn't say, what are you thinking? He's so gracious with us. A really smart Bible commentator, John Calvin, said of their question, he said, there are as many errors in this question as words. He's like, okay, they were thinking very far off. Like they were very wrong. There were as many errors in their question as there were words. And yet Jesus is so gracious with them. And I just think I I have a new appreciation for this. Uh, God is a good father and he's really gracious. Now my son Obed is learning to like interact with me and even like fake talk to me and even like sing, like we can sing together. And it's probably my favorite thing. I'll like sit him on a table and he's like, it takes me a couple minutes to get eye contact and then we're locked in. And then I'm like, and I'll say something and I'll wait. And then like one out of 10 times, he'll like, like something will come out and he knows like he did a good job and he smiles and we just laugh and we did not like, I say it again. And then I try to sing and I'll like sing a note. And then you see him like, like thinking hard and then he like purses his lips and like, he'll be like, and like he gets it. And we're like laughing together. And I'm like, yes. Now here's the thing. He's terrible at it and he's not that good. And he hasn't even matched my pitch yet. And I'm like, you can't really sing. And he hasn't spoken English yet. But here's the thing. I'm not sad. I'm like, yes, look what he's doing. That's my son and I love him. And even though he doesn't say what I say and he doesn't hit my note and I'm like, what? Yeah, I'm not mad at him. I'm like, this is my son and he's with me and he's mine. And I am excited to walk with him as he learns to speak and as he learns to do life. And our God is like that. When we have our misguided expectations of him, he's, he's not just like, hey, get it right. He loves us. And as we see, Jesus shepherds and loves his disciples through their expectations. Now, uh, this is certainly a disappointing moment for the disciples. And uh, I just want to say one more thing before we read verse 8 and look at Jesus' promise. When we are disappointed with God, we should keep reading what's next. Okay, this is like essential. Imagine if like, I don't know who it would have been, John, who's the son of thunder, is like, you're not establishing your kingdom, I'm out. And he just walks away. Like, that's reasonable. That's how I often respond when I'm frustrated, I'm out. But if they stayed and waited, they would receive promises from Jesus. And same for us. When we're disappointed and frustrated, don't just walk away from him. Like, keep reading. Stay near to him. Don't give up because your good news and encouragement and promises are coming your way if you keep reading. So let's keep reading. Let's look at verse eight together. Jesus says, no, I'm not gonna restore the kingdom. It's not for you to know, verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, 
So last week we, we looked at that verse, what is the baptism? You will receive power and the Holy Spirit's come upon you. But we want to study, what we read back in verse 6 is we want to look at this verse in context and understand what Jesus is saying and why he, he's saying what he's saying. And here's, there's three things we can get off of this verse. When we are disappointed with God, there are three things Jesus teaches us right here. Number one, we have the promises of God to hold on to. Jesus is like giving them a promise. Number two, we have the spirit of God like holding on to us. How good is that? And then number three, we must not forget our calling. This is what Jesus says in response to their misguided expectations. Hey, no, but you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. And I just want us to look at these three things real quick. Number one, we have the promises of God, of Jesus to hold on to. So these disciples are confused and they're thinking, why aren't you establishing your kingdom? And how are you going to establish your kingdom? Is it like a couple days from now? What's going on? But then they hear a promise from Jesus. This is a model for us. When you are disappointed and confused with God, God has given you promises, like a promise, and God has never lied. And his promises are trustworthy and true. And I just want to read a couple of like the promise highlights in the Bible. In case wherever you're at right now, I want you just to hear and receive. These are some promises God has given you right now. And, and probably some of us are going to need these like today. In Isaiah 40 verse 29, a promise of God is he gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. That's a promise when you're like, I have no strength, Jesus. God gives power. Another promise in Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. And you only have to be still. Like that's a promise. God fights on your behalf. Another one, Isaiah 54, this is pertinent for our area and season. For though the mountains may depart, and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. That's a promise of God to like our community, to his children here. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, has anybody sinned? Yeah. Yes. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, if you're like, there's no way he's going to love me. There's no way he's going to forgive me. This promise is God is faithful and he's just. Why is God just to forgive our sins? Well, because Jesus took your punishment. And so it would be unjust for you to receive punishment for your sin. Like that's a promise. I will not be punished because Jesus has forgiven my sin. Another promise, Philippians 4.19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Man, is anyone today like in need? Jesus will supply it. He will actually supply what you need. Psalm 37 verse four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Romans 8, 28, maybe the best promise in the Bible. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And don't let the fact that you've heard that a hundred times like 
make it not be true to you. Like that's a true promise from God for you. If you love him, he will work all things for your good. And then I love this promise, last one, John 8, 36. If the son sets you free, you are free indeed. That's a promise of God over us in our sin struggles, in our fear, like we are free in Jesus. And you know what? I'm sure the apostles at this moment were like, yeah, okay, we'll receive this promise of the Father. Um, do you find any of that like reaction in your own heart, hearing the promises of God? Like, yeah, okay, I know those in my head, but like, do you trust and hold on to and cherish and memorize and write them down and get them tattooed on your body and write them on your house? Like, is your hope in these things? Not like, does your head agree with these things? That's not how it works. Does your heart go to the promises of God? And I'll tell you how we can know. What's my response when I'm stressed? What's my response when I'm lacking? What's my response? Is my heart just spinning out of control? Well, then you don't, you're not holding on to these promises. You may know them in your brain, but is your heart clinging to the promises of God? Of Jesus. He has never lied to his people, and these among many are the promises of God. And just uh, some wisdom when whatever your particular struggle is, find promises that speak to that thing and remember them, write them on your heart, and hold on to them. Ask the Holy Spirit to make them real to you, to bring them to your mind when you need them. And so Jesus says, Hey guys, here's a promise. Number two, the second thing we have when we're disappointed is the Spirit of God. That's what he said to them. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is the promise of the Father. Now, there's some cool like Old Testament fulfillment happening in this verse and in this process, and I want us to see it. Um, You guys remember Elijah, the prophet Elijah? Who doesn't remember Elijah, right? He's like the prophet. He's kills, you know, Baal's prophets with his own hands. He calls down fire from heaven. He prays it doesn't rain. It doesn't rain. He prays that it would rain. It rains. Like, Elijah's awesome. Elijah was like, he sums up the prophets in the Bible. When, whenever someone refers to the prophets, they just say Elijah. He refers to all of them. Now, he had a successor, if you remember, and it's funny because his name's almost like Elijah. It's Elisha. And Elisha was a disciple of Elijah, and he would follow him around, and he would be his assistant, just like the disciples would Jesus. And this story in Acts of Jesus being taken up into heaven, if you kind of know your Bible stories, it sounds familiar, right? Remember Elijah? Does anyone remember how he left? In case you don't, we're going to read the story quickly together. Second Kings, verse, or Second Kings chapter 2. We have it up here, and we're just going to read uh, the day Elijah left, was taken up. I'll read it off the screen. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, I love how that starts, just side note. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. This is a good disciple. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. 
So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were in Jericho drew near to Elisha and said, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. 50 men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them. As they were both standing by the Jordan, then Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up and struck the water and the water was parted to the one side and to the other. It's just how he crosses the Jordan till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken up from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me, which like this is Elijah, right? Like double portion of Elijah. And he said, you have asked a hard thing yet. If you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. Man, to keep your eyes on the one you're following to receive his spirit. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. Just imagine that happening. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven and Elisha saw it and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his clothes, his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he went and took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Here's, here's the moment of testing. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted from one side to the other and Elisha went over. Now the son, when the sons of the prophets who were like saw this whole thing, who were at Jericho, saw him opposite them, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. How good is that of story in general? And do you not see what is happening in this story? The disciples have been walking with Jesus and they're not letting him go and they're staying near to him and they're asking him things. And Jesus is like, hey, no, it's not gonna be exactly how you want, but if you see me and he, they see him with their eyes taken up into heaven and they are promised that they will receive the spirit of God, the same spirit that Jesus performed his miracles by, which side note, Jesus was God. He didn't necessarily need the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, but he chose to, the spirit came upon him and he worked by the power of the spirit. And when Jesus was dead, the spirit of God rose him back from the dead. That spirit, the disciples received. And, and as Elisha received a double portion, double portion, look what Jesus tells his disciples and us in John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, is this just for the apostles? No, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. And then the disciples uh, had Jesus physically with them. And of course, who, who wouldn't want Jesus to just hang out with you in person? Jesus said, this is why he's going away. A few chapters later in John 16, verse seven, he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I go away. 
For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Man, so on the one hand, imagine if Jesus never left, you know, and he was still walking around planet earth and you could go physically see Jesus. Well, problem with that is he's actually in Asia at the moment. So you're like, okay, I want to go see Jesus. Okay, I got to book my flight. I'm going to go to Asia. And then you're like, okay, he's in this city. So then you go to the city and it turns out there's a long line. And you're like, man, it's hard to see Jesus. And you wait in line. You get to hang out with him. He's like, okay, I'm kind of busy. There's a lot of people. And so you see Jesus. Thanks, Jesus. And then you, that, imagine if that if Jesus was here, that's literally what we would do. That's literally what Jesus was like when he was on earth. There was everyone trying to get to him all the time. And Jesus said, listen, it's better that I go because my spirit will come on you. And one of the promises we have because of the Spirit is Jesus can say, I am with you always. It's like we have Jesus with us now, on us. And though we have our disappointments and unmet expectations, at times we have the Spirit of God living in us, leading us, convicting us of sin, encouraging us, comforting us, strengthening us, and glorifying Jesus. That's how we commune with Jesus in worship, in the word, as we're just with him in creation. Like the spirit of God is in us, crying out, Abba, Father. Like we have the spirit in us. And the third thing we should notice in verse eight is that though we're disappointed and we're confused, we must not forget our calling. That's how he ends verse eight. And you will be my witnesses. It's a, it's a strange thing, honestly, to say, because you're like, Jesus, are you going to restore your kingdom? And he's like, no, but you will be my witnesses. He's kind of like putting it back on them. Like, no, I'm not going to restore my kingdom how you think, but you're going to be a part of me restoring my kingdom. You will be my witnesses. You long for my kingdom to come? Well, guess how I'm going to do it? You will be my witnesses. And when you're full of the spirit, I will establish my kingdom in this slow, profound way through my people. And listen, life is really discouraging when we forget our calling. When we forget our purpose, like, like it's hard. Uh, right now I'm watching Band of Brothers again. I don't know if you guys know it. It's this World War II, like 10 episodes, like hour long um, series. It's so good, by the way. I would not highly, more highly recommend it. Um, and in one of the episodes, there's this soldier named Blythe. And this whole episode is like on Blythe. And it's funny because you don't know Blythe. He wasn't really there in the first couple episodes. You're like, why are we wasting a whole episode on this guy? And then it starts off and he's just terrified. Like he's sh- literally shell-shocked. And he's just like staring in the sky. And like his company comes like, come on, Blythe. And he's just kind of like lagging in the back. And then uh, they go through this battle and like they're taking this town. And so, you know, they're like waiting around the corner and then they all go and Blythe is the last one. And he like tries to go and then he just panics and he just crumbles behind this corner. This whole battle happens. They win, they go back. And so Blythe is getting the credit, but he's like, he knows like, man, I am not here. I can't handle it. And then he gets so afraid that he gets blindness. And uh, I forget the name of it. It's like hysterical blindness and he like can't see. And he's just afraid and he's in the medic's office. You're like, why are we, I don't want to see Blythe anymore. And then he has a good leader, Captain Winters, who comes to him and he just starts asking him questions and he starts encouraging him. And he's like, okay, Blythe, just you take care of yourself. And then in that moment, Blythe, like just the human like contact and care, he like, I can see again. 
And so then they have this next battle where they're holding the line and it's like they're way, they're an underdog and they're just holding this line and the Germans are coming on with their tanks and the line's breaking over here. And Captain Winters is like, no guys, remember your mission. And he's like, we're holding the line. And Blythe is in his foxhole and he's just screaming. It's like sad and he's, he can't do it. And then Captain Winters comes up and he starts getting in his ear and he's like, Blythe, stand up, soldier. He's like, you're a soldier. And so Blythe stands up and he's like, turn around. And he says, fire your weapon. And it's, you see him shaking, shaking, shaking. And then in slow motion, he pulls the trigger. And then you see him become a soldier in front of you. And once he gets that one shot off, his captain's behind him like, keep firing, soldier, keep firing. And he inspires him. And you see him like, his fear falls away. And he's like, I am a part of this. I have a purpose here. And I have a mission. And we see him become a soldier. And then at the end of the episode, they have to go scout this other town. And like, hey, we need two, two scouts. And no one wants to go scout out this area because you're going to get sniped. And Blythe is like, I'll go. And you see the transformation of a soldier who was afraid to like, I will go because I remember who I am. I'm a soldier. This is my purpose. And I think we as Christians are, are like Blythe at times. We may be afraid. We may be shell-shocked. We may have gone through so much that we're like, honestly, let's just, let's just wait until this whole thing is over and then I can go home and be with Jesus. And we even see the disciples acting like Blythe in verse 11. It's, it's pretty funny, actually. Look at verse 11 together. Um, actually, verse 10, verse 10. It says this, while they were gazing uh, into heaven, he went and behold, two men stood by them in robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Just stop right there. That's profound. They like had the spirit of God promised to them. They had a mission and what are they doing? They're just like, wow, where did Jesus go? They're just distracted, just looking at the air. Listen, Sometimes we forget our calling and we're just like, Jesus, when are you going to come back? I thought it was crazy. He went up. Let's just wait around together. You know, that's crazy. And we're just kind of waiting, looking in the sky, waiting for Jesus. And we need the reminder, hey, why are you standing looking into heaven? Like we have a mission. We are called to be his witnesses. The way Jesus is going to establish his kingdom is in and through us. The gospel has to be proclaimed, Mark 13, 10, to the nations, and then he'll come. And then 1 Peter 3, 9, the Lord isn't slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. And so we can just stand looking in the sky, waiting for Jesus, or we can remember like, no, there's a mission. We need to remember our calling, our identity to go be a part of what Jesus is doing. And then in the middle of this conversation, Jesus is promising them, hey, don't forget. Don't forget my promises. Don't forget that I'm going to give you my spirit. Don't forget who you are. Verse 9 says this. In the middle of their conversation, and when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took, them out, took him out of their sight. And here's really the last thing to notice this morning. Those words in verse 9, he was lifted up. He was lifted up. Man, at the end of the day, what our souls need is to see and behold Jesus lifted up. What we need, what our hearts need when we're disappointed and confused is to behold Jesus high and lifted up. Like that's what we need. 
for Jesus to be high and exalted like in our hearts and in our lives. And, and that truth, Jesus, high and lifted up is like everything to us as Christians. Everything for Jesus to be high and lifted up is why we exist as a church. That Jesus would be high and lifted up. In our worship, in our first set, in our second set, it's not about us. It's not about our preferences or about our, the song choices or about the right worship leader or the volume or the music style. It's about Jesus being high and lifted up. And, and as we study his word, it's not about, listen, this is what I like about his word. This is what my kind of clever idea is. You know, if you really think of it this way, like, no, we look at his word that we would see Jesus high and lifted up. That we wouldn't look at his word to find a bunch of rules and this is how you're supposed to live. No, the point of the Bible is to see Jesus high and lifted up. In, in our love for one another as a church, that we wouldn't only be like, hey, these are my friends and this is who I like at this church. This is who I don't like at this church. No, the point of our love for one another is that the world would see Jesus high and lifted up. Meaning like, I'm gonna be like Jesus. I'm gonna get to know someone who I don't know or who maybe I wouldn't hang out with. That's who the body of Christ is. And when we do that, Jesus is lifted up. In our sexuality, it exists. Your sexuality exists for the glory of of Jesus. That's why it exists. It's what a marriage is all about, to display the glory of Jesus. Your money, my money, exists to glorify Jesus. If, if oh God, help us if we just looked at our last month's spending and said, is Jesus being glorified? Like that, like that exists. We have been given everything that Jesus would be high and lifted up. Our time and our schedules exist that Jesus would be high and lifted up. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you need to sit in your room all day and read your Bible, but it means in your job, is Jesus being glorified and lifted up? In, in your house and in your home and in your relationships, do, do people see more of Jesus because you're there? In, in the gifts God's given us, did you know every one of you has gifts from on high that God has given you, that the body of Christ needs. And we have these gifts for the glory of Jesus. Man, how prone are we to be like, hey, look what I can do, but no, this is for the glory of Jesus. Man, our homes, our tiny apartments, whatever we have, wherever we live is for the glory of Jesus, that Jesus would be high and lifted up. And listen, before Jesus was lifted up in the clouds this day, he was lifted up on a cross. For every time we have failed to give him the glory he deserves in our time, in our money, in our sexuality, in our schedule, Jesus came and said, I will be lifted up first on a wooden cross and hang there and bleed and receive the wrath of God for our sins. That is how Jesus was first lifted up. And then he died and then the spirit of God brought him back to life. And now he has been lifted up and he's seated at the right hand of God, interceding for people like us who, who so often fall short of the glory of God that we're called to. 
And right now we have Jesus and his blood interceding for us. And, and this, this uh, text ends with verse 11 and it says, Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And what this is, is a fulfillment of this awesome vision Daniel had in chapter 7. I'm going to read it, just two verses. Daniel saw this of Jesus. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So as certain as Jesus was lifted up that day, he will come again. He's coming again to establish his kingdom. And I just love it. It says, you will see him. Like if we get the privilege of being alive, just imagine walking outside, out the steps, and like, I can physically see Jesus. Like that day is actually coming. And until that day, we have his promises, we have his spirit, and we have our role, our mission, our purpose, that the world would see Jesus high and lifted up. And the last verse we're gonna read to close is uh, actually Luke's first account of the ascension. He told it twice, which is Fun, he just did that, storyteller, I guess. So the end of the book of Luke, he gives another version of this, and we're just gonna close with these words. Says this, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him, don't miss that. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. And so Jesus, right now, we worship you. That should be our response to you high and lifted up. Jesus, we worship you. You are worthy. You are high and exalted. Your glory fills all of creation and the train of your robe fills the temple and all the angels right now are just declaring that you are holy, holy, holy. And God, thank you that we who were once your enemies have been rescued. Jesus, we who were once far off have been brought in that we could worship you, that we could behold you in your glory. And so Jesus, now I just pray as we, as we worship you like these disciples, that we would recall your promises, we would allow your word to pierce and penetrate where it's been lacking, that we would receive your spirit. Lord, I just pray this morning if any of us um, just need comfort and need a lifting of our head, that we would, by the power of your spirit, your spirit would lift our heads up from our circumstances and even our sin, and we would behold Jesus together. And then Jesus, I pray, like the disciples, we would be full of your spirit to be effective for you. Would we not forget our calling? Would we not just look up into heaven and wonder when you're coming back? Would we, like these disciples, go full of your spirit, full of joy, worshiping you, and then out to the community where we live that the world would know. Jesus, again, I just ask 
today you would nudge us in our calling. If someone's been feeling called to the nation, just nudge us, remind us of that call. If someone's feeling called to ministry, Lord, you would nudge and remember that call. If someone's feeling called to a particular job or to leave their job or to move, Lord, remind us, nudge us of the particular callings you have on our life because we want to be effective for you, Jesus. We say that your glory is, is, you are worthy, Jesus, and we long for your glory and we long for you to be glorified in our life, that you would be high and exalted. You are worthy. You are our King. And so we worship you now.